This episode of Everything Hurts is brought to you by Paperpile, the reference manager you'll actually want to use. Paperpile works seamlessly with Google Docs and Word for inserting citations and generating reference lists. Paperpile's iOS and Android apps also make it super easy to add and read papers on the go. Everything Hurts listeners get 20% off the Paperpile subscription with the coupon code HURTS. To learn more, visit paperpile.com. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with James Heathers from Cypherskin. James, how are you going? Yeah, you are yet again. Yet again. Yet again. What episode is it, Daniel? This is episode 134. Oh, I don't know anything special about that number. Well, that, that, that ruined everything I had in mind. Well, we're one episode closer to our live episode in Reykjavik which we've promised to you, dear listeners, it's going to happen before episode 200. That is our goal. That is our promise to you. We're going to work towards that. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we may have to uh, we may have to work some other things in and around that. Uh, should be, it should be fun. should be fun. Speaking of fun, we're going to be talking about retractions today. <laughs> As per usual, the master of the segue. I could have said anything. I could have said anything there. I could, that sentence could have ended with carrots, and you would have gone. Speaking of carrots, I want to talk it, about. It could have. It could have ended with a, a, a herd of buffalo sweeping majestically across the plains of Yellowstone, and you would have gone. Speaking of majestic, I would have made it work. We are talking about a retraction, but uh, I mean, we've spoken about retractions before on the show, but this one is a little bit different. This was a study that was recently retracted in the journal Molecular Autism, which publishes a lot of good stuff in there. And um, it was retracted because the authors did not have permission from the copyright holders of a questionnaire that they used. Uh, and this questionnaire was the Toronto Alexithymia Scale, which is uh, often known as the TAS-20. And this measures alexithymia, which is the ability to describe one's own emotional states. Um, typically, a license for this costs 40 US dollars. And for this particular scale, you have to mail a check, an actual check. When's the last time you've seen a check? <laughs> Don't they love checks well, in the States, James? What's, what's, what's the go they, there? Uh, they, they do. Um, a, a lot of things are criminally unmodernized sometimes. I still pay my rent by check. Wow. I, I laugh. I laugh every time I, I put it in the envelope. Do you have a fancy check, James? Um, no, I got incredibly plain checks because paying to access my own money is something that I resent, as might be expected. Um, once uh, we ran out of checks because we ran a whole checkbook dry, and I talked to my landlord. I called him up on the phone. Bill, I've, I've run out of checks. Is there any way I can- send you the money electronically, I'll do it right now. I didn't know I'd run out of checks. And it was it was like I'd asked him if I could like change out all the drywall or remodel the kitchen. Y- you know? This is this is this is this place is 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 rented. It's leased. It's uh you know? And you're like, oh Christ, pay electronic? Oh yeah, I suppose here we get the thing. So we got all that together and I'm like, boom, there you go. There's a rent. It's not a problem. I got you. Can we keep doing this in future? And he's like, no. 
No, get another checkbook. Start mailing that. pieces of paper again. Uh, yeah. Like, Look, it's so easy. Sort it out while we're on the phone. Like, can we keep doing it this way? I don't know, man. Maybe it's a- I don't, I don't know what the fuck that's about. Is it a tax dodge? Is it just because I've got a system? Um, yeah. Leg- legacy, uh, legacy pointlessness is- a thing, Dan. Yeah, they um they don't exist here, and um they they do have a facility to uh to cash checks if you get them from overseas. I did do that once, mm. and the teller was like, "Gee, I haven't seen one of these in years." Yeah, <laughs> this is a Hol- holding teller. it holding it up to the light, going, "Oh, it's like a, like a two dollar bill, you know, or, or an actual silver dollar." I mean, if you look at pull it out and look at it and go, "Look, a piece of history." Incredible stuff. Wow. Well, yeah. they. You needed to um, post a check in the mail uh, for uh, mm-hmm. to get a license to use the Toronto Alexithymia scale. So essentially, what happened was um, they didn't do it. Uh, all these uh, copyright owners of these questionnaires, it's very easy to police whether people are using your questionnaires correctly because all these that they, they can just set up a, a, a PubMed or Google Scholar alert on people who are citing a paper or just the keywords, for instance, the name of the scale, and they can go, okay, has this person um, paid their um, paid the appropriate fees? And they can go, no, and then they can do whatever they want. But this is a little bit interesting because you always hear stories of people who are just going to be like, ah, oh, stop it. Like, what, what are they really going to do? And they go ahead and they do it without paying a license. Or they're a little bit dodgy. They're like, well, our lab has one and our lab used it for a different study. This study is kind of related, so we're going to do it anyway. And uh, But what was interesting about this was that the actual results of the study was a bit of a critique of the original scale. And what the researchers did was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they checked the psychometric properties of this scale for a particular population. Uh, in this case, it was a, a, an autistic population. And they found that psychometrically, the 20 item scale wasn't necessarily sound and then they suggested hey if you take eight of the items from the 20 item scale it actually works really well and then they renamed it the TAS 8 and published the eight actual questions within the paper so 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 the original copyright owners have just gone you can't you can't just go around um publishing um, certain questions from our questionnaire, especially in an open access journal. Um, but I, I find it quite interesting that they've gone after them for writing a paper which was essentially critical of their original scale. And they've even gone to the trouble of um, they've they've put together uh, a very nice shiny R app for 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 calculating the um, for for using their their, their TAS eight scale. But all the, all that to say, uh, the article has been retracted because of these copyright claims. Um, and um, they they published the the eight items and the eight items are, are still uh, are still online. So it's a little bit of a, of a Streisand effect here because the um, the article accesses are, are higher than you would expect from from this journal. So a lot of people are actually checking out this paper. Uh, but I think this brings up a very interesting question of or, or firstly one one of the arguments behind um, we need copyrights for these questionnaires is that it means that patients can access them easily online. And I think uh, I can see the argument behind this. For quite a lot of people, these questionnaires help form the diagnoses for, um, for, for certain disorders. And getting a diagnosis helps with getting access to treatment services. So there, there is, it's, 
you can see why people will want to do this. But one of the reasons that the creators um, for for for, in, for the alexithymia scale said is like, hey, we don't want act- we don't want people to have easy access to these questionnaires. But and I, I was speaking to you about this uh, yesterday, James, and we put together a little game, and that was how quickly could James find um, a set of uh, a set of questionnaires that all of these you have to pay for. The first one was the Tor- Toronto Alexithymia scale. The second one was the, be- the beautifully named Sinonasal Outcome Test, and the acronym is James. Snot. Snot. Child. Snot. Child. Keep going. Uh, next one was the Mini International Neuropsychiatric Interview, the, uh, which, which is um, quite a quite a popular test used for um, looking at uh, DSM criteria. Which, um, mm-hmm. uh, next one was the Social Responsiveness Scale. And the final one was the Asperger syndrome diagnostic scale. And I said, James, go find free versions of these scales, which uh, should be <laughs> should be paywalled. And how long did it take you, James? Five minutes and 25 seconds yeah. for all of them. Yeah. There you go. And that includes and that includes the time it took to choose a jungle rot song to listen to, so I didn't get bored. So it's probably more like five <laughs> minutes and fifteen seconds. <laughs> and I wasn't wasn't doing anything fancy. Um, you try uh, you try Google image search, uh, and then you 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 look through the images. Uh, I have a uh, a little utility on my browser uh, called Imagus that auto auto loads images when you mouse over them. So if you're checking for something quickly in Google Images, oh. you don't have to click on anything. You just go move the mouse, 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 move the mouse. Now I had to go through twenty or thirty with some of these, but once you see the one that is actually the items, generally you click on that and you look at the file structure. And um, uh, if that doesn't work, and you can look for a PDF through uh, regular Google, uh, you can put it in a Google Scholar and see if the the, the spider has indexed it and that's i mean i didn't even get a chance to try anything else although the go-to that always works in my experience is looking at people's theses Mm. because a lot of the time these scales everything needs to be complete they're included at the end of a thesis so i remember once i'm not going to name the person or the scale but someone said uh someone said to me i just can't find a free version of this scale and i got to use it in this uh, and I, I, it was just something which just asked me offhand, maybe you have this. And I found it at the end of someone's master's thesis um, using a thesis repository. Um, you know, and they're like, oh, I've been looking for days. How did you do that in five minutes? Well, you've got to know where to look. Um, and it's not difficult. It's, it, 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 it's a very small amount of information and they're used in a very large variety of contexts. It is the digital age. The only reason any of this is enforceable or trackable or anything is that you have to get and publish the information that you used it in a place where it's actually official. So it makes the copyright environment really different. It's really easy to find the scale. It's really easy to use the scale. It's another thing to publish with it because they can associate that with whether or not it's technically licensed to you in the first place. So interesting copyright environments. Like if you make a if you make a, a remix in your house, and uh, it's incredibly similar to the original version. Maybe you're not very good at remixing stuff. Um, if you put it on Spotify, they'll find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you hand it around in mixtapes to your friends or leave it on your SoundCloud or something, they probably won't won't find it, right? 
So, part of this is driven by the environment that the information has to be released in. It means exactly the same with everything else. It's exactly the same reason why plagiarism is the stupidest crime in the world, because you have to publish the evidence. (laughs) (laughs) So... As you can probably imagine, uh, I have a variety of thoughts about this, Daniel. I'm, I, I don't like the idea of resources that we need to use to do research and in particular to take care of people in healthcare environments being something that needs to be accessed for money. Uh, and there's lots of free uh, psychometric resources and people have looked at the open tests and, and there's people who are far more invested in this than me because I haven't given a scale to anyone in any meaningful capacity that wasn't a BuzzFeed quiz about which cat are you for more than a decade, let's say, more or less, okay? So, I mean, I don't like it in principle. And I think the argument of, well, we need to keep this protected because otherwise patients will find it is bullshit for one, the reason that I previously said, five minutes and 25 seconds, digital genies do not go back very well in digital bottles. It's just very difficult. And secondly, that's not really the point of being able to license something in the first place. If you need to protect it, if it's like data available on a reasonable request where you actually follow through on that shit, then fuck, man. Just keep it as a just just keep it as something that's not available for public consumption, like license it in the appropriate way, discretion appreciated, but that doesn't predicate charging money for it. I mean, I hesitate to think, were all of these things developed by private foundations? By, by, uh, b- b- uh, are, these, are these things the, the intellectual property of someone who developed them with private money? Now, I don't know in this case, but there's a lot of these things, and sometimes they definitely are because there's research institutes who, who treat this as a work task. They have access to a population of people or they develop it. Uh, they run their scales. Uh, they do their fucking Veramax rotations and the rest of it. That's probably 20 years out of date. You know what I mean? They do factor analysis. They look at what the factors actually represent. They publish on what the thing is about and then they license copies of the scale. I mean, it's the same as any other form of assessment. There's management software for doing shit like this. You know, there's there are all sorts of uh, digitally administered information things have got access costs. Um, so that's one thing. But the idea of I got a research grant in 1980 to develop this and now I own the IP, is like I, I start to have a, a principled problem with that rather than a practical problem. Um, in my experience, Dan, um, the vast majority of these things are just published in the literature somewhere. And no one's checking that shit closely. No one really cares if you publish. I mean, in, in a way, it's a little bit like digital piracy. It's like, well, one, they weren't going to buy it anyway. And two, you now have more reach. You now have more exposure. You now have more credibility because of the, the way that it's used. You know? So, it, it crosses over with other questions of, of, of digital rights here. But 
that all being said, the the part that is really like funny slash a little bit unusual is what you said before. The idea that someone's going to modify it and then put the modified items in the paper. Not a good move by the authors. But also the fact that they were going this is more than twice as long as it needs to be according to the factor structure or whatever. We can modify it and make it much simpler. It doesn't need to have a psychologically satisfying number of 20 items. It can just have fucking these ones. It should have been called, if they called it the fucking these ones scale, maybe they wouldn't have noticed for a couple of years well, and the genie would have been way out of the box. They're, they're going to try and resubmit the paper because they think that the, the, the primary issue is that they've, they've, they've taken the, the old scale. So it's like, here, I'm going to, I'm going to steal your scale. Say that it's, that it, that it, that it doesn't perform very well. And use parts of your scale and say that this new one does very well. So the in this um, look, this was taken from a great piece from from Spectrum. So I'm, I'll I'll post this in the show notes. And they um, they got in contact with the authors of the retracted paper, and they said they they plan to resubmit the article and they're going to rename the scale from the TAS eight to the eight item general alexithymia factor score, even though they're still going to be using the same questions as before so i'm not quite sure how they're going to skirt the same problem because there's still mm, well it's yeah uh, it, it, the, the whole this this is where like we would have to have someone who is an expert on digital rights and copyright etc cetera, etc cetera, because like derivative works in general are treated very differently to uh copied or reproduced works yeah so you've made something that is now now differently named but also different in its outcomes whatever and if they've published the items in the paper itself they're they're not going to protect it and sell it themselves or the items wouldn't have been in the paper in the first place right mm. but is using the same questions just less of them with a different kind of outcome, technically a derivative work? The answer is, that's a really specific legal question and I have no fucking idea. That's like a lawyer writes a tech dirt article level question and it's really interesting. What I do know is, this is obviously a big fucking barrier. The fact that someone would kick up about this is a big barrier for future scale development. Because if they'd, if let's say they'd gone and paid the money, and that they even knew to pay the money. And I think the vast majority of people use these things because someone's got a copy down the corridor, you know? Then someone pulls it out of a filing cabinet or they have a ratty old PDF somewhere. And you just use that. You don't go, oh, I should check the copyright of the scale. Because you've just read hundreds of fucking things about it. You've seen like half of the items sprayed over all the research that you've read. You can find the copies of the thing as easily as me. And then you see the thing at the top in tiny little, it says, you know, copyright, educational McFuck 1988. You don't go, oh, I should check if that is still a relevant commercial concern and pay the fucking licensing fee. It's just not something that occurs to people to do. We continually treat all the other resources that are in this space as free it's a big hurdle to get over right so i don't know how this is going to shake out and you're right that it's interesting um i wish i had a stronger prediction one of the most annoying things on the internet there's a lot of annoying things on the internet is when you were searching for a recipe for food i know i know you like 
being in the kitchen cooking stuff, you, you, you Google something, you see the recipe. James, what pops up before most recipes on the internet? Um, well, someone's entire life story, of course. Yes. And do you know, you know? Do you know what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, do, do I know why that you know, is? Why do recipes, do you know why recipes actually have that? Well, I always assumed that it was something to do with the fact that uh, if you have embedded ads or other content that you actually have to scroll through everything that's there to give the digital impression that things are visible and or accessed. That's probably one of the reasons, but one of the main reasons is that recipes cannot be copyrighted. But if you attach your recipe with a story, then that actual um, that actual web page is yours. And the reason I say that is because for this actual article, they got in contact with a professor of law who knows stuff about these things. And they were saying that the reason that you can't copyright a recipe is because you can't copyright a process. And they were making the argument that a questionnaire or a scale is similar to a recipe and that it's a process. So technically, it's actually quite oh, wow. it's actually quite a gray area as to whether you can copyright a scale because it's a process. I, I knew you could, uh, but how does that work if like the whole thing, does that mean basically if it's in one URL and there's all this other stuff? If you have a story, you know, this is, it comes up right at the start and you go, look, hello, I am an Azerbaijani Australian, but for some unaccountable reason, I cook Korean food. If I had a Korean grandma and she'd ever talked to me, it would have gone a little bit something like this. Scroll, 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 add for boner pill, scroll, 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 scroll. Thing on the page, divider, separator, recipe. Now, if there, I mean, that comes down to like, is it all self-contained within the same web page? Does that suddenly change when it comes to the end? I mean, because then after that, the thing is very definitely a process. Does it work on a section of text basis or does it work on a treating a URL as a published object in and of itself basis? And if that's the case, though, Dan, why does everyone have to fuck on? endlessly about every single thing that ever happened to them and take things like a photo of a bench to, to show us the context in which they originally ate these particular croquettes. Why wouldn't you have something nice and short? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is it just that everyone who does this is searching for some parasocial relation? I, I don't know. Look, maybe this is, a, a, you know, about as antithetical to a lot of persistent cultural ideas is just about all the other things that I'm completely antithetical towards. Um, it's probably not even the right word. It's just, you know, I've given a lot of recipes to a lot of people about a lot of different stuff in general. Um, the only things that are really worth including are the notes about how you do it. What about the notes? Say you follow a process and you get to the end and you do something like Chef Wang does on YouTube where there's little notes at the end about why these steps are included. Does that change it? It's still part of the process, you would I say. Think, well, it's not. It's a description of pieces of the process, Dan. You could perform the process without knowing the context of why you do it. Like, you know, why would you use this particular marinade on this particular thing? I was looking at a uh, uh, the way that you prepare. Everyone should watch Chef Wang on YouTube. I, mean, I think it's Wang, technically. Uh, he's, he's, he's a weapon. He's one of my favorite people. Um uh, he's a young guy from Zichuan in China, and he has a, uh, a YouTube channel where he cooks things. So, you know, you can know the steps of how to treat pig intestines before you cook them. 
but like, why is it soaked in that? Why do we use baiju? Why do we use baking soda? Whatever, right? You don't need to know that to be able to do it. So it's still part of the process. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like you said, there's um. Yeah. Maybe we should. Maybe we should get to this. Obviously, I mean, maybe it's about time we had another librarian back on. In general, I understand digital rights issues fairly well. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> This episode, Daniel, is brought to you by Paper Bile. Hey, look at that. We actually managed to coordinate something for once. Isn't 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 that nice? It's very nice. Um, I finally had a chance to use it for work. How was that? Um, well, it's the same it was when it used to be an add-on, but now there's another little button at the top of the Google Docs thing. Um, I had to write something. Actually, I, I, I probably put it on the show. I had to write a big, long-ass thing that had the had all sorts of references that needed to be coordinated. Uh, it's yeah. If you if you grew up getting physical papers out of the physical library, um, especially during the Australian summer where the building was too fucking far from the library. <laughs> Oh, I remember that. It feels, it, yeah, it feels like un- it's still, honestly, it's one of those things that still feels like unmitigated luxury. So, like, you click the button in the Google Docs, the little searchy thing pops up, and you click the title and you get in, like, two or three words, and you push enter, and it's just there, and you just click cite. And every single time I do it, I think of how fucking long I spent handling these things through other, refer- other, other reference managers didn't work as well. Um, I had... Just, I had gross problems with uh, EndNote for years, but it was what we had a license to. So, you know, you know, one thing that I love that um, I've, I've been playing around with a cake. Been playing around with cake. <laughs> I did like cake. I've been playing. I've been playing around with Paperfile more recently, and I uh, changed from a, a different manager. I, I exported all my stuff from from papers, and a few things that were in there didn't have an associated PDF, and it's really easy to hoover up pdfs based on your reference list so what it does is if it's open access it'll get it it'll find a preprint if you are on your university network or using a vpn fuck really i have not i have not tested this and if you have access to it through your vpn it will find it and it'll get the pdf yeah it is super cool and if you don't if you don't have access to through vpn it'll do its best to find um, whether it's on a personal website, um, whether it's on a preprint repository, and it will find a version of the paper, hoover it up, and put it into your database. That is cool. Big fan of that. Everything Hurts listeners get 20% off a paper pile license uh, using the coupon code HERTZ, H-E-R-T-Z, and you can check it out for free for 30 days as well, and you can use all the features with your, with your free trial. have an emotional response to the idea of this thing that is needed being walled off yeah i mean the, the- you know i mean would say you had a like a a, a council service that you had to pay a dollar to access the website <laughs> everyone would find that horrible or a hospital website where you'd have to you know pay to sign up Look, that was my first reaction. When I saw that this paper was retracted um, because of this issue, my first reaction was that that's that's just bullshit. And 
Well, we haven't got we haven't got to the actual issue of retraction yet, Daniel. I was saving that for a little while. With the fact that the thing was actually spiked and thrown out of the journal, and then now actually has to come back, which eventually ends up being not a retraction. In general, journals do that for a variety of reasons. Um, one is they've completely lost faith in the author for other reasons, and some kind of chain retraction thing, you know? This wasn't the case here. They lose, th- they lose these four for colossal misconduct, so we get these other six. Um, or it's because there's some very obvious problem with it that they're actually willing to look at. Um, or it's because there's any of the above involved or something similar, but legal pressure has been applied. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. That seems to be the case here, and quite um, quite a lot of journals would err on the side of, of caution if if there is a potential. Well, they certainly don't err on the side of protecting authors' rights. They generally err on the side of, oh, no, this could potentially be a problem for us. Fuck your work. Um, gen- they generally show a very strong moral commitment to principles within publication uh, when when legal uh, legal stuff is involved, um, and that works the other way around as well. You know, they're going to retract something because they know it's bullshit, and then the the bullshitter's uh, lawyer turns up and goes, "Hmm, isn't it interesting that you're thinking of doing that, sir? Isn't it interesting that you're thinking of that?" They're like, we were just thinking about it. We don't want any trouble because it might cost money, and we're in the business of making that. And fuck the authors. Uh, and fuck the people who are asking questions. What is the thing that's in our immediate best interest so we have to do as little work as possible? Because journals provide a service, Dan. Oh, no, wait, the other thing. Not a service. You're the, you are the product. You are not the customer. You are the product. Never forget that. The authors did request to make a correction, but the journal refused and said, no, this is going to be a retraction. And they're resubmitting it. So, yeah. We'll see what happens in regards to that. Well, that's a that's a retract and replace kind of thing then, mm. I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well it would it would be nice if all of the I mean, this is this is a little bit like open textbooks and uh, open open teaching materials, of which we're both obviously very big fans. Um I don't see a strong material difference between open open textbooks and open lecture notes and open digital resources and open psychometric instruments. You know? I really I don't I don't see some gulf there. I, I think there is one key difference though in that mm-hmm. in that when it comes to a psychometric instrument uh quite often one emerges as the instrument to use. So you'll do a thing, you'll you'll in, in this case you'll be investigating alexithymia. And if you don't use the famous scale, a reviewer is going to go, why didn't you use the famous scale? It might, much in the same way that journals are, <laughs> are able to uh, um, wield their weight and basically make the calls because we all know that there are certain factors where we will be submitting to these journals because because of prestige. So I think when it comes to textbooks, there are a variety of different textbooks that you could potentially use. And there's not going to be that much critique on why didn't you use this one, but for for a scale, there are pro- the fuck you to- sorry, hang on. What the fuck you talk about why didn't why didn't you use 
this one. Scale. This is I don't. Yeah. So so there there, so there are pressures. Okay. So 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 yeah, okay. at which at which point in time, like presumably, you chose it for a reason. Like it has better psychometric properties, or, or it has equivalent it. psychometric properties because it's more recent, but it's it's forty percent of the length, but it's still reasonably equivalent. So you just there's like the moment something like that becomes mimetic, then all of this is okay. No, what I'm saying is there's a big difference between textbooks and between other things because here authors their their, their hands are, are almost forced to use this particular scale because it is because it is the scale to use and you you mentioned before at the start oh well it's easy to write an open access alternative but it's not as easy as that because this alternative you didn't say it was easy what did i say it was easy you, you, you it's said obvious. the way the way the way that you said it was like you can do this alternative thing that is hard especially when you have um a, a scale which i think i think this, this thing's been used in hundreds like I, i've even I think uh, I've had to, I've had a co-author who, who's who's applied this this particular scale. It's quite well known. Okay, you've you've missed something. Making good, disseminable resources that people are interested in is obviously challenging. Mm. And there are, I think, reasonably equivalent challenges in developing something like this. Um. I, I suppose the biggest difference is access. Uh, making digital resources a lot of the time is ex- assembling pre-existing information. You don't have to go out and find 1,200 people who, wh- where, where their alleged alexithymia is interesting to others. And that's obviously where the challenge is, which is what makes me wonder like, whether or not it was done privately. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like a, a very defensible business model. Um, it would be good. It would be good to Trojan horse something like that. Would be real. That'd be really fun. Um, you know, develop some great resource, leave it in the public domain uh, with strong copyright protection on it. And then not prosecute anyone. And then just wait until someone who was really terrible that you didn't like used it. Okay. You know, Bam. yeah. And then wrap them over the back of the head with a big long piece of wood. Oh, maybe that's just mean of me. I don't. I'm in a, a in a. There's been a lot of retractiony stuff recently that I don't even really have time to have my ire raised yet. As per usual, here I stand with my ire acting up yet again. What fun! I think I think the interesting parallel is software that's used for research. There are some free versions available, but um, quite a lot, quite a lot of the things, or quite a lot of the software that a lot of people use, you you have to you have to pay for. Um, one one example, at least within our field, is is Cubios for calculating heart rate variability, and it's mm. using algorithms which have been around from the 80s very public and they're using and applying these algorithms and wrapping them in a very shiny ui um and and they're charging for it and most people think that's okay in that well these people spent time on programming the software and they're simply getting reimbursed for their time 
Yet when it comes to scales, a lot of people would go, oh, like, you know, this, it, like, why do, you, why do you think we have a different conception for, for, for different things that researchers produce? Software, yeah, maybe okay if people charge okay, for I see, I see two very substantial differences between those examples. One is that with three to six months worth of, um, there's, there's a lot of equivalence for any given analytic pathway. You've chosen one where there's a million billion options uh, in every available programming language, uh, some of them with pretty serviceable UIs that will do almost exactly the same thing. Um, and it's very, very possible to just go to GitHub and find something and install it but then why and with, a modicum, so with a modicum of help. To make it because it's used, Dan, not by researchers, but by quantified self weirdos and people who are having a good time and people who are curious and people in companies and they want to be, have, be able to buy something that will work instantly that they can trust. Popular in academic A lot of research is very common. Yeah. Yeah. Does that mean the alternatives don't exist? No, it doesn't. So shush. Bad. They exist. They hit you with a roll up. Uh, as much. What? Go on. Can I finish, Go on. please? Go on. Okay. The second thing is you're talking about the difference between what is presumably a clinical tool that is used to take care of people in healthcare systems and a bunch of shit that has no immediate medical diagnostic value. The extensive use cases are quite different. As much as they're both within the kind of broader biomedicine umbrella, one is used for things like how do we assess this person who has turned up at our mental health clinic to be able to investigate their mental health for their care? And the other is a bunch of fucking numbers that most people don't understand anyway, used for abstract research tasks, usually by divs. Okay, so you're saying there should be an, an ethical imperative for stuff which is more clinically oriented. Well, uh, that's th- see, this is I, I get a little bit uncomfortable with how I feel about what other people should be doing because I think it's a very untrustworthy way to think. You should be doing this because that's where my emotions and intuition lead me is a shit argument, and the people who make it the loudest are the most annoying people in the whole world. Ugh, more annoying than like, like the physical personification of herpes a lot of the time. How dare you not see it in the exact way that I see it? How could you possibly think any other way? Insert epithet followed by fucked up comment that immediately removes any kind of moral authority subsequently. So it is, it is really a feeling. It is a feeling. Um, the, the other the other thing that makes me slightly uncomfortable is that, it, I mean, if if you've got something that's from the 90s and you still have copyright on it and it goes till the end of time, like, like Disney, like fucking Mickey Mouse or whatever the hell it is, I mean, you've, you've got much better protection over that than you do off an entire patent for an entire very complicated area or idea or device or whatever that you need to protect because you have a commercial advantage. I'm like, what are you, 20, 25 years? I mean, changes between countries from memory. But so it's not it's not treated like a patent. It's treated like it's it's some kind of inviolable intellectual property. 
Um, I, I, I guess the reason why this has never really come up and why I don't have particularly strong convictions on it is the fact that I just do not see this shit being enforced very often. Yeah. I mean, there's an awful lot of scales that are technically copyrighted to someone somewhere. And this is the first discussion of this issue in this context that I've ever had personally. I mean, obviously, it's something that I've thought about, but it just doesn't come up. So, I guess a lot of people just let shit slide. It's a custom more honored in the breach than the observance situation. I'm I'm somewhat complete. Look, and this all being said, I fucking respect anyone's right to do something difficult and then make a living by selling it for money. I mean, that's generally how commerce operates. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's it, I I suppose it comes from the same sort of emotional wellspring here as. I don't think insulin should be ridiculously expensive. I don't think people should uh, not have access to life-saving medications, which the rest of the world, apart from Uncle Sam, has figured out by now. Um, because, you know, over here, people like to complicate things. I mean, what is life without a series of complications uh, and a handful of dead relatives who couldn't afford to save their own lives due to their inadequate private insurance? I mean, that's just Tuesday. So. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a little bit sensitive about it on that basis. But also, that is not equivalent to we don't have some screening scale for something when there may be an alternative and it may be not particularly diagnostically relevant for a care decision anyway. Ugh, we could go round and round on this. This is some um, I've I've often found it interesting how many parallels there are between digital rights discussions that started 10, 15, 20 years ago. In the context of software is pirated, uh, and movies are pirated, and music is pirated, and books are pirated, um, and access to walled-off systems is pirated, uh, the contents of databases are pirated, and all of this has revolved through an interesting series of changes. Um, and I think in general, except for the people who actually study it and are interested in it, who know much more about it than I ever will, uh, everyone else just ignores the fucking shit out of it. It's just something that happens around you. Um, I think if anyone's going to weigh in, I think like a few months of reading Tech Dirt articles would um, would really help on uh, on this one. It is. I will. I will say this though, Dan. The vast majority of the vast majority of the time, these problems have been solved by commercial access solutions. Yeah? So, the equivalent of Netflix, uh, Spotify, what's the music one people like? Title? Spotify? Uh, there's an, there's another one I can't remember. The, the whole the, that's the one. Yes, Pandora. Thank you. Um, this is an Steam as well. Um, th- there has been. I mean, the 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 fact that it's something that's served that is commercially served that things work instantly. I think I might have been watching Netflix 
uh, maybe since I came to the US, so 2014, I think I've had one error where it refused to play some show one time. I just went, sorry, can't figure that out. Here's an incomprehensible error message. I can remember that happening one time. Yeah? Using Steam uh, for VR during research, whatever, very occasionally I've played a computer game. Um, that's usually been because I've been curious about the mechanics and it's related to something that I'm working on. Yeah, I'm a real fucking gamer boy. I'm not. Um it's, I've never had I've never had a problem with it. It updates automatically. It loads things automatically, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Streaming music it's exactly the same. So you've got good services. You've got reasonably low access costs, and you have a centralized location where everything lives, where everything is. So if there was enough money in it. Presumably, a market like that would evolve, but I think the use is far too occasional and the market is far too small for someone to go around and buy the rights to all of these things. Also, presumably, a lot of companies would have absolutely no interest whatsoever in selling them to you. Um, and you can't, it's not a market you can grow. You can't suddenly make more neuropsychiatric researchers who are interested in um, some fucking scale. You know, well, the university system in the last 15 months is anything to go by. Um, you're fucking actively making less of them as far as I can tell. So, I mean, it doesn't have the kind of user access that would support someone uh, buying the rights to all of these things, sticking it all in the same place, saying, like, everyone needs access to this and it's going to cost you a buck a month. Or something. It would be the equivalent kind of format. But it's unthinkable because the volumes are so low. What about for academic papers? I've always wondered, is there potentially a market for Netflix for papers? Sci-Hub um, has demonstrated that people just want to access papers with a single click. Um, Netflix has made it so that it's so cheap that people are like, well, you know, I could torrent this show i could torrent this movie but it is so much easier to just open netflix and pay the 10 bucks the 15 bucks a month i always wonder whether the the economics would work for academic papers and you could open up your market and you know for for quite a lot of people around the world if they could have a system which works really well a a good demonstration of this now is that there's a new service called libkey um where uh, a university library can subscribe to LibKey, and what it means is that any website with the paper that you go onto, there's a little um, uh, a little box comes up. It's like a plugin for your for your browser, and it says it's one click PDF. So now there is no need to use SciHub because SciHub is this is something we've spoken about before. You use SciHub, not you don't, you don't have to. You have access to these things because it's so much easier. But with this libkey thing that you can get through a lot of university um, libraries, with one click you can actually get access to the papers. And it also means mm. one one limitation of SciHub is that quite often you cannot access the supplementary materials. But with libkey you can you can do this sort of thing. And it demonstrates that people just want to be able to access their stuff easily with a single click. So I just wonder whether something like like a Netflix for papers could potentially work, where you just make the system just work bloody well, and people pay ten bucks a month, whatever, and that sort of scaling would be enough to 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 hold the system up. Mm, it's possible. 
the the key for anything like this is always who pays. And if you're thinking about this, and this, look, there's plenty of access that different people pay for to do their jobs. So like anyone who's a, a, a independent white collar kind of uh, uh, sole trader cat, um, accountants will buy accounting software, lawyers will buy uh, database access stuff, um, people will pay their subs to unions or to uh, the trade association or to like, keep the paperwork in order, keep the compliance in order, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like things come with costs. I wonder if that's just a bad cultural fit, Dan. Um, s- simply, but, I mean, the, the other thing, the other thing you've got to realize is that, like long term, as something like this starts to play out, maybe that works in the short to medium term, but in general, someone else who makes it free and will just give it away the way they do now. I mean, you've seen you've seen the research. Open access papers get cited more. Papers with a, any kind of social media promotion get cited more. Um it's it's an it's an access thing. The moment you start taking away access, it's a it's a great opportunity for anyone else who can figure out how to immediately do like free gold, OA, whatever. So it's supported by a society, all of a sudden it gets cited more. You wind up changing the landscape. Um and you know, we're thinking about this is low cost. This is low cost. But I am very uncomfortable with the idea of a lot of grad students undergraduate students, independent scholars, whatever, having to pay anything to be able to access this. It seems to be antithetical to the the ideas that we have about how information should be accessible. So I mean, this is, I mean that that's that's as a blanket idea. You can you could think of a a, a place where this is it it seems it seems perfectly possible. Like say you restrict that just to uh, individual professions or areas where something is more or less likely. Um, spitballing here. I must say that this libkey thing I haven't actually heard of that. But that is the first mature response to the Sci-Hub problem. And problem is in huge implied inverted commas here. <laughs> that is the first response to the problem of Sci-Hub that I have ever heard of. It works great. Because it's a fucking service problem. What was it? Was it? I, it was more than half. I think it might have been up to two thirds in one of the figures. I can't remember the precise figure, but two thirds of people, people using it, they already had access. Easier. They already had access. It was just toilet access, and I wrote about this more than five years ago, right before those papers existed. I might add, before there's any evidence on. Whether or not it was like, is it a, is it a, what, what's the nature of the problem? And the nature of the problem is that the database is a fucking toilet and that the access is difficult to organize and that there's all sorts of stupid horseshit going on and it drives everyone crazy all the time. Even works for PsycInfo. Yeah. 
the worst. <laughs> the worst databasing system in the entire world. The APA obviously have the it's two hamsters, mate. Just the like two the hamsters di- the did running the, around. The, seriously, the digital sophistication of a rotten avocado was the worst database in history. Um, I every time, every time I see the header. Of the website, even now, I get this initial feeling like, oh, something's gonna go wrong. Yeah, it's like it's like getting a, a thing in the post and then opening it up and see the IRS on the top of the piece of paper. You just have this like, oh, here we go. The fucking the the fucking IRS of publishing. Um, so, but the whole the whole point is you now you you're doing that. Okay, okay. Now you've got a now you're now you're changing the the landscape. You're actually improving your service. Holy shit! You're actually improving your service. Uh, it only took a decade, but you know you got there eventually, didn't you? You clever little tinkers. There's also a competitor. So I think there's two or three services that are doing this. So check out your your library. And uh, I'm I'm just surprised my library didn't. Uh, no, they they kind of advertise this. So when, when you go to when you go on the website, it's like, hey, have you seen this thing? So check it out um, because it, it just makes things so much easier and there's essentially no 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 need to use Hive anymore because you can get your articles with uh, with a single click. And um, it just it just if you can get access to to the article through your library, you can use this libkey thing or whatever the equivalent is at uh, your library. And mm. if you don't have it, chat to your librarian. There's enough people. The, the way these things work is there's enough people libraries and universities have a set budget to spend money on things like this if there's enough people that say hey this thing could be really useful for me uh they they listen and um these these yeah these things can 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 be implemented so chat to your librarian yeah pray they still have money in the budget for uh actually getting you the stuff you need to do your job ha 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 what a fucking joke um, this is, it's, it's possible, it's possible to do a lot. Do you, do you want, want to know something that's really, uh, that's really interesting about this? If you can figure out how to throw away all of the access barriers that are here, when something's just open and all you need to do is maintain the databasing, you don't need to maintain the like access barriers. It is actually a much easier problem to solve. So, if there's another way to do it, that might be a much more valuable and persistent business model to just go, here is the fucking thing. Here is the ancillary information. Here is the whatever else. It's all immediately accessible. Go for it. Have fun. We like you. There it is. Because, I mean, otherwise, it's like it's a lot of individual deals and it's proxy servers and it's stupid bullshit. And you end up with universities negotiating with publishers. You end up with the people who are the entity that run the journal, which are not the publishers, negotiating with the publishers the things they want. Although it probably goes like this. Can we have this? No. Um, And then you have the people who are both the consumers and the eventual consumers, not the people who pay, and the product, the people who are actually making the bits and pieces. It's a very weird, incestuous kind of market at the end of the day. And those people work for the people who are actually the customers. So, you can throw the whole goddamn lot away if you just have full 
open resources for everything. There's a lot less to maintain. There's a lot less to get angry about. The whole point, as per usual, is where's the goddamn money going to come from? Servers aren't free. Digital resources aren't free. Go back and listen to the podcast with Jason Hoyt to find out what it's like trying to start a journal and make money on a margin. And you think, oh, fuck it, it's easy enough. We'll stick a PDF in a thing and that's it and end of story. No, no. Not cheap. Enterprise, enterprise scale data shit costs money. What are you going to do? You put, put a fucking data center in your garage? You're going to start racking your own servers? No, you're going to you're gonna do what everyone else does. Get a great big fuck off bill from AWS and um, try and uh, try and figure out how the hell to pay it when you're not making any money. Let's wrap up then for, for this episode. Thanks, thanks for listening and thanks to Paperpile for supporting the show.